Thank you, Pastor Tad. Good morning again, everyone. Um, any kids headed to Gospel Project? Now's your time. Uh, everybody else will be, as you can see on the screens, in the book of Ruth today. If you would, turn with me in your Bible to Ruth chapter 1. We'll read the end and then on into chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible underneath the chair in front of you, it should be one that looks like this, and we're on page 127 in those Bibles. It's page 127 in the chair Bibles. Uh, by way of introduction, I wonder if you have ever hit rock bottom. I don't mean a set of circumstances where one or two things go wrong, but rather a time when everything seems to fall apart. For the college students in the room, maybe just for example, it went like this. Uh, maybe you started the day to blow up with your roommate. You can't even remember what the issue was, but it ended with a lot of yelling. Then you headed down to get in your car to go to the job where you hardly make anything, and the car wouldn't start. Then you went to work and got fussed at for somebody else's mistakes, left work in time to go take a test that you are sure you bombed, that you very badly needed to complete the class in order to graduate. And then walking home from class, you got a call from your mom who said she's leaving your dad. And then to top it all off, you spent the night throwing up because you ate too much Taco Bell. Rock bottom. That's a rough day, isn't it? Have you had a day like that? Have you had a day like that recently? I wonder how many of us here this morning feel as though if it could go wrong, it has in fact go wrong, gone wrong. Or maybe if you're not there today, perhaps you're living in fear of when that day will come. Well, brothers and sisters, Ruth chapter 2 is here for you. By God's providence, He's brought you here to hear a passage about what can happen when we are discouraged and defeated. You see, in those circumstances when things align in such a way that it feels as though all has gone wrong, is it incredibly easy to give in to the temptation to believe God doesn't care or God is not there or God is, in fact, unaware. But far from being disinterested and disengaged, the God of the Bible has particular concern for people who hit rock bottom. To say that another way, the Scriptures paint the picture not of God's absence in our troubles, but of God's particular presence and gaze when we come to see that we are powerless without Him. You see, we are particularly primed to see and experience the goodness of God when we've come to recognize we are not good and cannot cause good in and of ourselves. Ruth chapter 2 shows all of this in a remarkable way. I'm very excited to share it with you this morning. As I look around the room, I see several who have not been here recent, some brand new people. Welcome. Uh, for you in particular, let's spend two or three minutes reminding or catching up or reviewing what's in Ruth chapter 1. By the conclusion of the first chapter of Ruth, we have two women who have reached the very end of themselves. Their names are Ruth and Naomi. Naomi 
traveled to a distant land because of a famine. And while in that land, she buried not only her husband, but both of her kids in an untimely manner. Understandably, she's bitter, destitute, and believes in God, but seems to not like him very much. I wonder if that describes your disposition. Yes, God's out there somewhere, but I don't care for him. That's where Naomi was. Ruth, on the other hand, Ruth was Naomi's daughter, one of Naomi's daughters-in-law. She had all the dreams that newlyweds have. From the youngest of ages, she had dreamed of her wedding, the dress, the flowers. And she had imagined marrying a prince of a man who would work hard, make her a mother of lots of adorable children, and live a long, long time. And yet, those dreams were dashed against cold, hard reality when this husband died young. Ruth was left husbandless and childless, which today is bad or difficult or hard. But in this day, it was as though she was dying again herself over and over and over as cultural shame was heaped upon her. But it seemed like when things couldn't get any worse for her, they did. Because the only person she really had left was Naomi. And then one day Naomi decided, I'm going to go home. I'm going to leave Moab and go back to Israel. And so Ruth was faced with an impossible decision. Do I stay in Moab in hopes of finding another husband? Or do I go with Naomi, the only family I've left? Going with her would mean I turn my back on my country, my people, my gods, and very likely will live the rest of my life as a poor widow. Well, shockingly, Ruth chapter 1 says that Naomi went. Naomi chose to go with, Ruth chose to go with Naomi. She gave up everything for that commitment. And in one of the saddest moments in the whole first chapter, we find that Naomi seems to not even notice. She doesn't even seem to care that Ruth has made this commitment. And so certainly we could say that these two women had reached rock bottom. Far worse than the example I used of the college student, these two widows had a fight to survive every single day. But friends, we find as we turn the page today from Ruth 1 to Ruth 2, that we must never forget that God exercises kindness toward his own, even in our hardships. Friends, God is forever for his people and ever orchestrating all things for his glory and our good. I read this week of a hymn writer in the 1700s who was faced with what we would call today probably clinical depression and schizophrenia. He would go into deep bouts where he lost complete sense and sight of reality. But when he came back out of them, he wrote some of the most beautiful hymns that are still sung today. One of them, we don't sing often, uh, goes like this. 
He says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides his smiling face. For this man, William Cowper, what a name. It wasn't enough that he had such a tough life. He had to have a bad name to go with it. But William, Bill shall we call him, he knew something of the difficulties that God in his providence can bring or can not prevent if it's easier to think of it that way. And yet he trusted that behind even the most difficulties, the greatest difficulties he faced, God, in fact, had good in mind for him. I mentioned earlier in our gathering the word um, hesed or hesed. Why don't you turn to a neighbor, try not to spit on them, and say hesed. Go for it. It really has kind of a guttural, good job. In the Old Testament, the, the providential kindness of God is most often described using that word. This is, Hased is the loyal, covenant-keeping kindness of God. It's what we most don't deserve and yet are given by God's grace. One of the prime examples of this kindness we find in the whole Bible is seen in the actions in Ruth chapter 2. Let's read together starting in verse 22. Tony is going to come read for us from Ruth 1, 22 all the way to 2, 17. Thank you, brother. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain, after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out, went, and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, <laughs> who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moab woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. After the reapers, so she came and she said, and she, so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen. My daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should... You should take notice of me, 
since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When, the rose, when, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, say, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of Bailey. Thank you, brother. Now, what did you find funny as you read she this? She was sneezing, and then it says, bless, Lord bless you. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jared. That was great. Yeah. I thought the, uh, the reaper might be coming for him. <clears throat> Thank you for reading. What should you do when you hit rock bottom? When... Those circumstances happen in which bad thing after bad thing after bad thing seem to collide into one big hot mess. What should you do? Well, certainly there are many right answers to that question, but one of them we see this morning in Ruth's actions. Ruth would tell us if she were here, what do you do when you hit rock bottom? Well, you keep going. You don't give up. You do whatever needs to be done. You keep going. When you get a cancer diagnosis, or when your child disobeys in some severe way, when you don't get in the school that you wanted to get into, or when a romantic relationship you thought would end in marriage doesn't, what do you do? Well, Ruth says, by her actions, you keep going. You don't give up. See this especially in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean after the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth is described throughout this passage, maybe you noticed, as the Moabite. It doesn't point out where anybody else is from except Ruth. This is the author's way of saying to everybody else, Ruth is an outsider. She's an enemy. She's a nobody. She's supposed to be one of the bad people. And yet it's Ruth that gets up and goes to get food, not Naomi. Naomi stays home seeming to be sulking and pouting in her bitterness while Ruth gets up and gets to work. She displays a grace-fueled strength and courage that I'd love to have, regardless of what difficulties may come. Ruth didn't sit around in self-pity, nor did she wait for a handout. She didn't depend on her circumstances to change. She got up and got to work. 
frankly, Ruth knew if I don't go get us food, then me and Naomi are going to starve. For us city dwellers, the context here isn't readily obvious to us. But you'll notice in verse 2 it says that she asked if she could go glean. To glean means to gather something bit by bit. And in this case, the Jews had a custom that if a poor person or a sojourner, meaning an outsider, needed some way to get food, then they weren't to stand on a corner with a sign, but rather they were to go behind people reaping, people getting a harvest, and whatever they dropped, then you were free as a poor person behind the harvesters to pick up that grain for yourself. Now, this wasn't just a novel idea. This is what God had commanded them to do. It says in Leviticus 19, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over again, when the law is given in the Old Testament, we find that refrain at the end. I am the Lord your God. See, what God was telling the Israelites is remember who I am. Remember these commands are an expression of my character and how I have acted on your behalf. You see, when the Jews were slaves in Egypt and had no way of survival on their own, God rescued them out. He showed himself to be a good God. So the commandments are always intended to be a response to who God is. God had cared for them, and now as an expression of that care, they were to care for each other. And so Ruth went to labor in whatever field she could find. She literally probably left wherever they were sleeping and began to walk. And when she came to the first field where she saw harvesters, she got to work. In Ruth's day, you see, there, were no, there was no social security or food stamps. You couldn't draw disability insurance. And if you didn't work and nobody was following Leviticus 19, then you didn't survive. And so Ruth got up and she got to work. Friends, what should you do when you face hardship? The same thing. You get up and you keep going. But don't misunderstand me. Ruth and Naomi are going to be provided for in this passage. But it's not fully and finally Ruth's actions that bring about the meeting of their needs. It is instead the kindness of God. So even when we face hardship and we get up and keep going, we must understand that that is simply one of the means God uses to provide for our needs. Anything good that we ever get is an expression of the loving kindness of God. You see, our job is to position ourselves in such a way that wherever and whenever God chooses, we'll be in a position ready to receive from His kindness. 
That's what Ruth did. This is seen in a dramatic way in verse 3. It says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This part of the story is told by the author with such brilliance. This text was originally written in Hebrew, and if you translate the Hebrew literally, what it says is, her chance chanced. Now, it's not translated that way because that's incredibly clunky English. But we miss the larger irony being painted for us when we translate it in a different way. So when the author said she happened to come to the part of the field, what it originally says is she chanced chance and came to the field. Today we'd put it this way. Luck would have it. Can you believe this shocking freak coincidence? A few years ago, a a couple who was joining our church told me how they uh, began dating. True story. Uh, The man was undecided if he should ask this woman out. And so he was sitting, eating dinner with a friend, said, I'm going to do what the fortune cookie tells me opened the fortune cookie, and it said, yes, do it with confidence. So he decided to ask her out. I did their wedding on Monday. In their case, it turned out pretty good. Now, I'm not suggesting you seek the Lord's will that way. Please don't. God does not speak necessarily through fortune cookies. And yet, many times it feels as though our chance chanced, doesn't it? Most things that happen in your life, if you're honest, you did not see coming and you did not orchestrate. God simply in kindness had you in the right place at the right time. You see, there's really no such thing as luck. Ruth chose to get up and keep going, and God in his kindness chose to pick a particular moment to lead her to a particular field that she might be provided for in particular ways. I love the way one Puritan pastor put it. He said, the providence of God is like Hebrew words. It can only be read backwards. Friends, most of the time we will seek God's will, we'll read scripture, we'll get good counsel, we'll use sanctified common sense, and then we'll act. We'll make decisions. We'll go forward when we're uncertain. But as we look back, then we'll see with great confidence the way in which God has intervened for us over and over and over again. That's what happened to Ruth. She had no way to know that day as she picked that field that that would be the field belonging to Boaz. She just so happened come there. But the chances don't end there. If you look at the start of verse 4, there's another word we don't often use. Behold. If you began saying to someone else when you were surprised, behold, all the time you would probably lose that friend. But the word behold means, wow, this is another shocker. The second 
surprise, the second luck, the second chance chanced, is that not only did Ruth begin working in this field, but the owner of that field happened to show up at the same time. I mean, what are the chances? How many fields did Boaz own? How many employees did he have to look after? How often did he go and look at his fields? There's no way to know. But the author says, behold, not only did Ruth's chance chance here, but then God saw fit to direct Boaz's steps so that in this very short window of but a few hours, he would see Ruth. God's provision for Ruth and Naomi came through Boaz. Friends, I realize that's simple to say, but do you see your daily life like that? Particularly when things are hard and you choose to get up and keep going, Do you see the kindness of God extended to you through others? That's what Ruth chapter 2 is describing to us. It's the reality that God's providential care very often comes to us through the kindness of his people. You see, unbeknownst to Ruth, Boaz was a distant relative of Naomi's. And this would make him a prime candidate to help Ruth. We'll see more about that in the coming weeks, but for today, just for now, recognize that God's hesed, God's kindness, was shown to these two widows who were childrenless and penniless through a man named Boaz. Boaz was generous far beyond what Leviticus 19 required. He went well beyond the letter of the law, understanding the spirit of the law. He understood the law at its end is love. Love for God and love for people. And so he wasn't particularly concerned with fulfilling only what was required of him, but rather what the very heart of love is. And so he not only let Ruth glean in the fields, but he told The harvesters, leave more for her and stay with my other harvesters that you might be protected. One of the great realities that every generation must face is that the poor and often the women among us are at the greatest risk of harm. You see, he had to tell her, stick with my people. Because if she didn't, there was a chance she would be assaulted and maybe even raped. Isn't that horrible? But friends, the the heart is no different. The same things we must watch out for today are the same things 3,000 years ago that were necessary. Circumstances have changed, but the heart, the heart is the same. May, May we be a church full of men like Boaz who look out for women, who protect the poor and the powerless. For this is a way we show the kindness of God.
What kind of a person was Boaz? Well, there's many things we could say. But one of the most interesting, I think, is noticing what the very first words he spoke were. If you look in verse 4, apparently Boaz is walking up the road, coming to his field, sees his employees in the distance. And when they are in earshot, he yells a blessing to them. Think of all the things he could have yelled. Get back to work. Is this all you've got done? You're taking too many breaks. I'm going to fire you and get somebody who will actually work hard. No, he says, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. He pronounces a blessing on them. I love that. Boaz knew nothing of what we might call the sacred-secular divide. You see, in his eyes, everything had spiritual significance. Friend, are you tempted to come to church on Sunday morning, sit in this room, and then when you leave those doors at 1230 to also leave your awareness of the presence of God? Do you go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday without a sense of His presence? And the way in which through your words and your actions, you may in fact be the only example of the kindness of God someone may experience. Friends, in reality, there is no sacred-secular divide. Everything we do matters. Everywhere we go, we bring God with us. Because God in Christ has saved us, the Spirit now indwells us. And so, quite literally, God is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine having an employer who, when he sees you or she sees you, says, the Lord be with you and greets you with a smile? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, that would be great. Now, those of you with employees in the room, you may or may not be able to actually say that at work. It may not be wise for some of you. Uh, Teachers, for example, would it be smart for you to start your day tomorrow pronouncing a blessing over your classroom? The Lord be with you. You can try it, but it might not be the best way to show said. You may, in fact, lose your job over that. Now, if someone asks you, why are you nicer than all the other teachers? Or if you display a particular generosity, if you're given opportunity to speak truth, certainly do that. And yet, are there ways in which you could show people the blessings of God through your kind and generous actions? Yes, no one can limit that. Our church has a lot of engineers. Uh, Those of you who have supervisory relationships, should you tomorrow email all your coworkers and say straight up, 
The Lord bless you, and I have a gospel word for you this morning. You can try that, but it may not be the best way. And yet, are you intentionally building relationships, inviting coworkers to lunch, and over the lunch break, off-site, are you saying, I just got to tell you about my Savior? Friends, there is no sacred, secular divide. Everything we do is done for the glory of God and the good of others. Boaz didn't just talk to his employees this way, though. Did you notice? Boaz also spoke graciously to the poor foreigner named Ruth. In verses 8, 9, and 10, we see his presence and his protection and his provision. Boaz, in many ways, serves as a case study for those of us who know God, how we should interact with those who have little. Friends, as people who live, many of us, in downtown Tempe, you don't have to go far to see someone in significant need. In fact, if you today were to leave this building and simply walk to lunch in any direction, you will pass someone with 100% certainty who has hit rock bottom. I wonder, does our disposition toward those among us who are poor match the way in which God has extended His generosity to us? Boaz is also a tremendous example of charitableness or of generosity with his possessions and his resources. Friend, whether you are more like Boaz in this story, meaning that you have a lot, or whether you're more like Ruth in this story, meaning you have very, very little, the Lord's graciousness and generosity to you and to me is the standard by which we demonstrate generosity to each other. You see, it is simply not true that if you and I had more, then we would give more. Studies have without a doubt demonstrated that on a whole, people who make more money give less money away. Boaz serves as a wonderful model for us of what generosity looks like. So to put that very practically speaking, as a church, given the number of members that we have, there ought never be a legitimate need that goes unmet among us. Anyone with any need should be able to find that need met. And, and furthermore, we ought to be struggling as a church to find enough new ministries to start and new churches to form relationships with because we have a surplus of giving. And yet we find ourselves this year below budget. wonder, church, if you will consider ways in which you can demonstrate more faithfully the generosity that's been extended to you by God. The Apostle Paul in the letter to the Corinthians 
says something like this. Let me paraphrase it. Jesus gave himself for you. Now, in response, we give of our resources to show the way in which he's given to us. See, again, there is no sacred, secular divide. Even what we do with our cars, with our kitchen tables, with what's in our fridge, with our couches, with our bank accounts, demonstrates where our hearts truly lie. Jesus gave his life. We can give our money. Now, it's crucial for us to ask, why was Boaz this kind? Why was Boaz this generous to Ruth? Well, at one level, we could certainly say it's because he was a man of character. He had learned when he had a little to be generous. And because he learned it then, he kept it up when he had a lot. But that's not what this passage emphasizes. Certainly it's true, but it's not the emphasis of the text. Ruth, too, focuses on Ruth receiving kindness from Boaz because she'd already extended kindness to Naomi. Do you see that? Apparently, Ruth had developed in a short time something of a reputation. It was known throughout the town that Ruth had given up her home, her family, her gods, her future, all that she ever knew in order to show said to Naomi. Friends, it's important that we see the gospel is not you get back from God what you give to God. The gospel is you get from God what you do, in fact, not deserve from God. But that does not mean that there is no cause-effect relationship to living life. There is. The book of Proverbs, for example, is full of general promises that what you put into life will, in fact, return to you. Now, certainly there are exceptions to that, but in this story, what we see is that Ruth embodied God's kindness to Naomi, and in response, God made sure that Ruth experienced that same kindness from another. Friend, what you do does, in fact, matter. We give said, trusting that God, in his own way, according to his providence, to the extent that he so desires, as is good for extending his kingdom, God will return said to us. Now, if you don't believe me, this is what verse 12 says, the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a rather weird image at the end, but Boaz describes to Ruth that he understood her actions as being one of trust in God. And so as he 
metaphorically pictures this for her. He says, God is like a mother bird who sweeps out her wing, covers up her young to protect the helpless little birdie from predator. Says Naomi and Ruth, in particular Ruth, as you have not given up, but you've stayed true to Naomi and you've gotten up and acted by seeking food, you've done so not simply so you could pull up yourself by your own bootstraps, but rather you've done so with a sense and an eye to God, spreading his wing and protecting you. He understood himself to be, in fact, the tool that God was using to provide for her. Years later, Ruth's, great grand, Ruth's grandson, King David, would write the exact same phrase in a psalm of his own, Psalm 36. Think about that. If you're here and you're a grandparent, understand the significance of your life and your words. Who knows what may become of your grandkids? They may repeat the same things that you have said because you've lived them out. And that may, in fact, change the world. Brothers and sisters, when we hit rock bottom, we are to rely on God. We're to get up. Keep going. But do so knowing God will providentially direct your steps. He will care for you in the way that's best. He will providentially chance your chance in order to show you his steadfast love. He's done this fully and finally in the person of Christ who came and gave his life in order that your sin debt could be transferred to him and you could glean his right standing with God. I hope if you've never trusted Christ that today you'll stay after and you'll ask somebody around you, tell me more about the loving kindness of God. Let's pray.